2022 is almost over. Let's put a bow on the year that was 2022. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. And here we are, the final episode of the year 2022. Um, thank you. Let's start with that. Thank you for being along for the ride, whether this is the first episode you've ever listened to, whether you have listened to everyone that we have posted this year and since the beginning of the show. Thank you so much to um, to each of you for being a part of the pro-life movement, for being a part of the change that we are witnessing here in Canada and around the world. Um, Today's a special episode. We do this every year. And by every year, I mean, this is the third time that we've done it. So um, we're, we're building tradition, but but it, it's still fairly young in the, the, the podcast ultimately is still fairly young. And and I want to dive into a couple of podcast stats before I welcome on my my guest, my very good friend and colleague, Jonathan Van Maren, to talk about CCBR, the parent organization of um, the Pro-Life Guys podcast, to talk a little bit about what we have been a part of over this past year, some really encouraging statistics that we're seeing um, from Canada, um, and, and obviously a lot of excitement from around the world as well. And so um, I, I just want to give you a little bit of a picture as to what 2022 was like for the podcast here. And in, in a lot of ways, it, it's been a wild ride the entire time, right? Launching a podcast and learning about how to run a podcast with Peter um, was a, a joy and, and a, a tremendous amount of fun and difficulty learning how to record not only pragmatically, like, like the, the supplies and, and equipment that we needed, but also um, how to conduct good interviews and how to cover topics in a meaningful way. And so it's been a lot of learning there. But 2022 presented a few different challenges. Obviously, um, coming out of the pandemic, there are a lot of opportunities that we have for speaking and for engagement. And, and so, obviously, unfortunately, at times, it felt like the podcast was, was getting crowded by so many of these other exciting things that we had on the go. Not to mention the fact that um, in June of this year, Peter Boss, um, longtime host of the show, um, moved on to Greener Pastures. We hosted a, an episode with him a couple of days, a uh, couple of weeks ago, I should say, uh, about what he's been up to in the last six months or so. But obviously, that was a tremendous amount of transition for the show. And so I appreciate you bearing with me. Um, the new um, um, full-time, full-bore, um, full-hog, whatever you want to call it, host of the show. Um, been a lot of fun. And... You guys have been such a faithful audience. I, I want to run through a few crazy numbers from the show. So we've been we've been um, on the go for just over two years now. So we launched in August of uh, 2020 during the pandemic, um, and since then we have grown tremendously. My um, basic research that I had done way back when was that if you get over um, 150 downloads per month on your podcast, and you were in the top 10% of podcasters out there. Well, in 2022, thanks entirely to you, our listeners, um, we we saw over 65,000 downloads of our episodes, which is absolutely incredible. That's a new record for the program. We had just over 40, um, just over 35,000 last year. Just over 65,000 this year. We are getting so close to 100,000 total downloads, which is insane. Um, 
we had we have over 500 YouTube subscribers now. This is primarily an audio podcast, even though we we have a video component with it. And so we got over 500 um, YouTube subscribers as well. And it's been an absolute joy on this journey of trying to figure out all of the behind the scenes stuff that Peter was doing. As much as I was working on lining up all of the the interviews and show notes and whatnot, Peter Peter was the man when it came to um, posting everything and making sure social media was running smoothly. So shout out to Carissa, who's helped out tremendously on the social media side in Peter's absence. And thank each of you for bearing with me in tardy posts and, and the website falling behind. There's going to be a lot of updates happening to the website in the near future here as uh, we, we kind of re- refocus the podcast. I... It has been a, an ache in my heart that at some point I'm going to have to remove Peter from the website because um, he's no longer a part of the show. He's always going to be a, a fond memory. Of maybe we'll put him in the Hall of Fame for the show or something like that. Um, I want to run through a few of my favorite experiences um, just real quick before we dive into Jonathan. Some of my favorite episodes, I, I would love to hear your favorite episodes as well. Some of my favorite episodes, the one that stands out very clearly in my mind was an uh, interview with Laura Clausen on her video, The Procedure that she did with Laura.tv. Um, just a just an incredible girl, just a, a wonderful, wonderful contributor to the pro-life movement. I feel like a lot of people build their impression of Laura Clausen exclusively off of her social media presence. And I think that, that would be selling Laura so short. I mean, she's got a, a very polarizing and, and very strategic um, social media presence. She is an absolute gem. Um, and so if you love her on social media, then you'll love her even more in person. If you have a hard time with some of the stuff that she posts on social media, you'll, I, I am very sure that you will love her in person. Um, and so that all of the post row, um, Dobbs decision stuff, conversations I had with Mark Harrington, Mark Crutcher, father, Frank Pavone, a great friend of the program and Eric Scheidler. And then the last one that I'll mention is relational apologetics and combating hysteria with Josh Brom. Um, as I mentioned on that episode, um, I feel like Josh Brown is my brother. I, I love that guy so much. I love the work that he's doing and I've talked to him like three times. And so um, Josh Brown is the best. Love him. Check that out. We had a bunch of other guests. And I'll mention a few of them. Um, Seth Gruber joined the show. Dr. Monica Miller, Lisa Rowe from Support After Abortion. So many other incredible guests that, that were willing to join me on the program. Um, and just thrilled with the growth of this. And I really hope that going into 2023 together, we can continue to grow. I'm really excited about the lineup that we have going into the new year. Don't worry. You're not going to have to listen to me do solo episodes all year next year. Um, interviews coming up with, um, who do we got? Kevin Burke. Kevin Burke is coming back on, um, who did our Christmas reflection. He's going to be talking all about Rachel's vineyard, um, and post-abortion healing. Um, and how to navigate conversations and interactions in that realm. Uh, we've got Michael Wagner coming on. Michael Wagner is a historian and, and journalist here in Canada, talking about the history of Canada's pro-life movement, which I know is a really interesting component for a lot of people, um, working on folks from the Charlotte Lausier Institute, Live Action, and countless other entities as well. I really hope to really get back into top-notch guests um, as well. I've been thrilled with so many of the guests we've had. Love to keep that tradition going as well. And so that's what I got looking forward to in 2023 through the program. I would love to be um, speaking at, at your church, at your pro-life group, whatever that might look like. I'll drop a, a link in the description below um, for how you can book uh, me as a speaker to come in for for whatever you got, whether it's just hanging out with you and your friends or whether it's doing a, a formal banquet or anything like that. Um, it's been an absolute joy to to work with so many groups over this year to do their AGMs, their banquets, their their fall meetings or spring meetings or whatever it may be to speak at the Alberta March for Life. 
um, events like that really, really cool and, and so fortunate to be a part of. And so if, if you want to, to connect and, and bring me out to your neck of the woods, I, I love traveling, um, and, and would love to make that happen. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Jonathan Van Maren, communications director for the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform on the year that has been 2022, the fall of Roe, the 10 year anniversary of, um, the end the killing planet, CCBR and so much more. Here it is. All right, folks, Jonathan Van Maren, how you doing, sir? Welcome back to the show. It's always good to be here, man. Good, good, good. It It is wild to think that we are coming to the end of 2022. Um, I, I feel like the years are flying by. Um, I, I've been in this gig for 10 years now. You've been in this for over 10 years now. Um, there's an awful lot that we could say going down Nostalgia Road, but I 2022 was a, a wild ride as so many of the year, these years have been, but not just because of the internal stuff that we're doing at CCBR, but obviously it, it was a wild ride for many pro-lifers around the world, not only with obviously the, the major news of the overturning of Roe versus Wade with the Dobbs decision, we've got constitutional stuff happening in Central and South America, enshrining pro-life laws and legislation, uh, constitutional amendments. We've got states um, legislating all sorts of stuff. When you think back on 2022, Jonathan, give me the Coles notes. What stands out to you most prominently from this year? So much. I think, I think obviously you have to start with the Dobbs decision on June 24, 2022, which will replace January 22, 1973 as the day that the abortion fight in the U S turned. And that might to some people sound too optimistic on the heels of several midterm losses with abortion referendums in the U S. But I, I do want to take a moment to emphasize what happened with the Dobbs decision, just because we're talking about a, a movement that was fighting something that was considered settled by everyone, but considered settled by the Supreme Court in 1973, considered settled initially by both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. And so what you have is a, a nearly 50-year fight by a grassroots movement of ordinary moms, dads, people who just really cared to ensure that abortion remained on the national agenda in the world's greatest superpower for almost a half century, despite the fact that they were told over and over and over again that this was a waste of time. And I contrast the, the feeling I felt when, when Barack Obama got reelected. Uh, and I remember just feeling so like depressed is probably the right word just that night, like the blackness of the despair, because when he was reelected, I looked at the makeup of the Supreme court and I looked at the justices he'd already picked and the justices he was likely to pick. And I thought like, it's over. Like we're not going to see Roe v. Wade overturned in my generation because at this point they're going to have young pro-abortion justices that are probably going to pass more affirmations of Roe like Planned Parenthood v. Casey did in 1992. And I was not only heartbreak broken for all the babies, but I also thought of all the pro-life leaders who had toiled for their entire lives to get to this point and thought, you know what, it's just not going to happen. And on June 24, it was a Friday, and I was in Montreal with our team. Um, with, you know, Blaise Elaine and the Eastern Outreach Department was working with a new group called Montreal Against Abortion. And that morning, I was scheduled to give a presentation on the history of the pro-life movement to everybody. Now, I thought I thought that the uh, the the Dobbs decision 
uh, was going to come down on the Monday. And the reason I thought that was because you'd had all these threats from from abortion, domestic terrorist groups like Jane's Revenge, who were threatening to basically um, inaugurate a night of blood and fire if this was to happen. And you had, you know, 25 crisis pregnancy centers, churches, etc., that were getting firebombed, that were getting vandalized. And the thinking went that they weren't going to, you know, put this decision down on a Friday evening, thus giving all of these people a chance to riot over the weekend, not to mention the fact that there were more decisions that had to come down. And the the thinking went that they, the justices wanted to deliver the Dobbs decision and then get out of Dodge um, until the next session. But I was uh, sitting there while Blaze introduced the day's activities, and, and then my phone just lit up like a Christmas tree, and it was like Roe v. Wade overturned. And it was this really surreal moment where it, it was actually hard to believe you were reading the words. Uh, I've been discussing Roe v. Wade since I joined the pro-life movement. It's been a phrase that's been on all of our lips, you know, for, for so long. I know so many people who have been doing this for decades. I just during, at the beginning of COVID attended, the last time I made it into the U.S. before COVID began was for the funeral of, of Joe Scheidler of the Pro-Life Action League, the godfather of the pro-life movement in Chicago. He fought since 73 for this end, didn't live to see it, and yet it happened. And it was just it was just a really wild moment. And I was giving my talk on the history of the pro-life movement, trying to kind of sputter through it while my phone was lighting up with calls from, um, you know, American pro-life leaders who were just phoning everybody they knew to share the moment with. And the talk ended differently. Like it's it's still one of the the more surreal moments of my life. And I had a hard time getting to the talk at the end. I don't mind telling you. And so I think it's really important for those who immediately get swept up on the next thing. And this fight is is never going to be over, right? There's always going to be babies at risk of abortion. So the pro-life movement's um, battle will never end. But I really think that after 48 years of fighting, uh, the pro-life movement has to sit back and look at what was accomplished. Because the coverage the next week, this is the first time I've enjoyed the left-wing press like The Guardian, because they were saying this is setting us back all over the world. All of these developing nations who are being told by the EU and the UN that legalizing abortion was necessary, we're now looking at America and saying, actually, following America's lead doesn't necessarily mean you know, liberalizing our abortion regimes, because in fact, for the first time since abortion was consistently legalized, a nation declared that abortion was not a constitutional right. Those were the explicit words of Samuel Alito, right? Abortion is not a constitutional right. And so 2022 will always be the year that we remember Roe v. Wade dying. All those t-shirts I saw for years, you know, um, I survived Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade will not survive me. Turned out to be true. And so I think at the end of the year, as where everyone's counting their blessings, that's a really important thing to just reflect on and be be incredibly grateful for. So of all the things that happened, and there are many that we could we we could look at. There's a there was rallies right now. They're considering liberalizing abortion in Malta, which has held strong for years. Um, but four percent of the population turned out at a major protest in the capital. Four percent, just staggering numbers showed up to protest the legalization of abortion. That's also really encouraging. So the message of 2022 is that grassroots work matters. If you're a pro-life activist having conversations, getting out there, that matters. And bit by bit, conversation by conversation, clinic by clinic, what we saw happen in June is a testament to the fact that this work does in fact pay off.
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great way to put it in. And it was so fascinating, both in the lead up and the the aftermath of the decision, right? I remember talking to both Mark Harrington and Josh Brom, um, leaders in the States, and in the lead up to um, the, the Dobbs decision, and both of them were cautiously optimistic. They really didn't mm-hmm. know what to expect. They, they honestly didn't even know if the ruling was going to be anywhere near as clear cut as it ended up being. And then, yeah, the, the scramble on the Friday, I remember trying to line a bunch of interviews on the Monday, assuming like you said, that, that this was probably going to come down on the Monday. We had just gotten back from an intern trip in Regina. We were planning a new intern trip out to Vancouver about a week later. Friday was going to be a bit of a soft day at the office. I don't even think the interns were in mm-hmm. on the Friday because they had just gotten back from Regina. And it came down. And in the, the span of the next eight hours, being able to talk to Eric Scheidler and Father Frank Pavone and Mark Crutcher and so many of these pro-life leaders that have invested so much of their time. It's just absolutely phenomenal. And... Yeah, we, we know that this is going to be a tug of war for a very long time, that this mm-hmm. wasn't ending abortion in America by any stretch. And I think that anyone who thought that it would be was, was sorely misled. But I think that for the majority of the movement, they realized this was just a major stepping stone. Yeah. Um, and, and while I'm sure that um, the you being the historian are, are going to laugh at me with this analogy, and it's probably entirely incorrect, like I'm, I'm sure that there is more to the fall of communism than just breaking down the Berlin Wall. Right. That, that obviously that was more towards the end of communism anyways. But but thinking about this as being a mo- um, momentous step towards protecting preborn children in America and mm-hmm. around the world, but certainly not the only step necessary. No, it, it, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall did inaugurate a chain reaction. That mm-hmm. is a historical fact. And I actually got to be I was I was supposed to speak in, in D.C. that weekend. And so I, I made it there on Saturday the following day and yeah. I went straight to the Supreme court. We checked into a hotel yeah. and I, and I headed down there right away and there was these like massive protests roiling. And it was just so interesting to be there because I'd seen so many protests in front of the Supreme court in the past, but always by pro-lifers. And this time it was, it was, you know, the abortion activists sort of flailing helplessly outside the, outside the ivory monolith. And I met Mark Harrington there. He took a taxi from the airport right to the court. And, and it was really, it was really cool to see the pro-life leaders who had, had given their entire adult lives to this out in front of the Supreme court. And, uh, I took my wife and, and our, and our, and our youngest with, and I said, like, we're not going to say we're pro-life. Like, I'll take you with, but we can't say we're pro-lifers because tensions are running pretty high here. Um, and so we actually got given like, um, refreshments and stuff by feminists who thought we were there to protest with them. So getting fed by the feminists in front of the Supreme Court on the uh, the eve of uh, of the overturn of Roe really, really did sort of unca- encapsulate the surreal experience. And then what was really neat for for those of your listeners who have read books like Wrath of Angels, The History of the American Abortion War, uh, or followed some of your, your, your podcasts on pro-life history, there was a party at the Leadership Institute actually on the Monday night, and Randall Terry was there, you know, the founder of Operation Rescue, uh, Joseph Foreman, who wrote Shattering the Darkness and invented the Foreman Crawl, uh, crawling back towards the clinic after, the, after they'd gotten arrested by the cops. Uh, survivors of the abortion Holocaust were there. Mark Harrington, of course, was there. And it was it was pretty cool. But in terms of, you know, this being the first in a chain reaction, at the end of the night, the guys are, were kind of, you know, standing around. And 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 what they said was, you know, like, so today, 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 we had our victory party. And, and tomorrow, tomorrow, we're back out there. Tomorrow, the fight begins once again. And I think the Created Equal team was out in front of the White House and, and a whole bunch of these significant sites. The next day, I met them in front of the White House, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday. 
and interesting even on that note of how um, I was doing a little bit of reading on the March for Life in Washington coming up in just over a month mm. now, and they're not going to the Supreme Court anymore. They're, they're going to the White House as their their tour route, their march route, because that's where the fight goes now, um, and obviously towards the, the um, street corners and doorsteps of our nation. Changing gears a little bit here, Jonathan, mm. I, I mentioned very briefly in the intro and, and also in, in the lead up to this of... 2022 is also a very special year for CCBR Mm -hmm. in that this marks the 10-year anniversary of the launch of the End the Killing Plan. This has become somewhat synonymous with CCBR. I mean, obviously, it's our website, endthekilling.ca. And 10 years since we launched this plan on the new abortion caravan that took us from Vancouver all the way to the the steps of Parliament um, and 24 Sussex. Maybe a thought or two on, on I mean, obviously, we, we do more, uh, many more than a thought or two on the last 10 years kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. but what strikes you 10 years into the plan? Could you ever have seen the growth and development that, that we've experienced, even though we, we put it in paper 10 years ago, or I should say, yeah. you put it in paper 10 years ago? Thoughts on, on the End the Killing plan and the 10-year anniversary of it? This year has been incredibly encouraging for that reason. And it's interesting, you know this as well as anybody, but at CCBR, it's it's so hectic and boots on the ground. And there's always so much going on in multiple provinces that I actually didn't even think about the fact that it had been 10 years since the new abortion caravan until like halfway through the year. When I'm like, wait a minute, we sort of launched this national plan that we're currently implementing at that point. And you're right. Like we, we, we laid out on paper the fact that we needed to grow like this, right? When we wrote the end, the killing plan, there was five of us in an office in Calgary. And now we've got, uh, you know, a couple of offices in Ontario. We've got initiatives in Vancouver and Winnipeg. We have an expanding Calgary office that has consistently been exposing the reality of abortion to, I would argue the majority of Calgarians now year over year. And so like, so much, I was reading through the original and the killing plan. I have it on my desk right here, actually, that we put together just to kind of see where we are. And there's plenty of projects that we, we since abandoned based on polling and statistical data, like that didn't work as well as we thought it would. So how can we hone this? But a lot of what we put down is has more or less unfolded uh, providentially precisely as, as, as we put on paper. And I want to, I was going to end with this, but this is as good a time as ever to kind of look at this right away, because I was looking at a whole bunch of national polling and, and we know that national polling is, is really difficult um, to actually nail down. It's hard to interpret it mainly because so with, with, with Canadian polling, just for the listeners, so much of, of what you get with regards to answers depends on the questions being asked. So just to give you one really relevant number from five or six years ago, right? 80% of Canadians don't know that there is no abortion law. So for example, if you ask Canadians if they're satisfied with the status quo and they all assume late-term abortion is illegal, you're not asking a question that you're going to get an accurate answer to. The same way the abortion activists in the U.S. were saying the majority of Americans support Roe, but every poll indicated that the majority of Americans supported restrictions that were impossible under Roe. So it's important to get good data. But one of the one of the really important things we've done with tracking national polling is focusing on numbers that we can actually have an impact on, right? There are things that pro-life groups can have an impact on. CCBR can't determine the political circumstances that result in an abortion law. 
for example, right? We can't determine who the, the, the leader of the conservative party or any other party is, even though we all voted for leader. And I hope uh, most of your listeners, if they were able to, did as well. But just to give you some encouraging national polling from 2021 and 2022, uh, an Ipsos poll from July found that only 56% of Canadians supported abortion, quote, whenever a woman decides she wants one. That's roughly been stable for a couple of years now. But what I found particularly interesting was that a 2021 Ipsos poll, and this is confirmed by other data sets, found that up to a quarter of Canadians opposed abortion in almost all cases. The reason that's so significant is the initial rounds of polling that both we did in 2011 when we were preparing for the plan, as well as other national polls, all indicated that sort of between 9 and 11 percent of Canadians opposed abortion in almost all cases. Now, 10 years down the road, we have multiple data sites indicating that that number has gone up to a quarter. And the analysis in the National Post on this polling was particularly encouraging because they they were asking the question, what makes Canada different from Western Europe? Right. We have rock bottom rates of uh, rates of religious practice uh, polling from the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada in partnership with some polling agencies indicated that all right, around 11 percent of Canadians actually participate in regular religious worship of any kind. So this would include mosques, it would include churches, it would include synagogues, goudoirs, temples. So that means 89% of Canadians are not regularly participating in any form of religious worship, which roughly tracks to other na- other Western nations like the UK, um, like most of Scandinavia, like the Czech Republic. And so why is it that in many of these countries, abortion is considered utterly uncontroversial? Many of these countries, particularly in Scandinavia, the, the pro-life movement is virtually non-existent, and abortion is basically seen as an issue of health care. So why in Canada, with a a much more similar culture to Western Europe than America, and with similar rates of rock-bottom religiosity, do we see, in fact, the number of Canadians who oppose abortion in almost all cases going up by double digits, which, let's say this number is, is optimistic, is still well outside the margin of error. Um, And I think that there's one very safe conclusion to make is the fact that in Canada, you have a national movement that is consistently exposing the truth about abortion to the public. It's what our Million Postcard Project in 2015 was. It's what our project's day-to-day are focused on, is that we are refusing to allow Canadians to see abortion as a matter of health care because we force them to see the victims of abortion. This year, we're going to get into uh, the details of those data uh, of that data, but we have r- roughly four million views of abortion victim photography. That's consistent with recent years with regards to views, but we've gone all the way up to four point five million views of abortion victim photography. So if you look at the, the 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 Western Europe and then you look at Canada, the primary difference between those countries actually is the fact that we have a vibrant national movement that's constantly growing, that's constantly recruiting new people, that's constantly expanding to other provinces like Quebec, which is, again, a hugely encouraging development from last year and this year. And I really think that all of you who are part of this national movement in Canada need to look at these numbers and recognize uh, that the national data is simply reflecting uh, the internal data we talk about at CCBR, the, the the internal polling data we've done that we've shared with all of you on previous podcasts, um, and, and, and all the anecdotal experiences that you've heard on this podcast in CCBR's newsletters on our Facebook page. And so what we're seeing now is the, on the, on the um, macrocosmic level here uh, that an increasing number of Canadians year over year are opposing abortion in almost all circumstances. And I'll leave, uh, there's a couple of other encouraging numbers from this data set that we'll leave closer to the end of the podcast. But I just think that that's directly relevant to what we're talking about with regards to the growth that we've experienced since 2012. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's bang on. And having participated in the new abortion caravan 10 years ago as an intern, it's so incredible to look at at what has been accomplished over the last 10 years. And, and one of the most interesting things, and I know that you do this more than almost anybody at CCBR, is interacting with the, the supporters that we have who have been generously supporting CCBR maybe since the caravan or even before that, and, and their reflections on the development, because I'm sure that there were many people who came to the, the presentations during the caravan and, and thought like, okay, these are a group of, of young, reckless folks that, that are going to be a bit of a flash in the pan. Like, sure, I'm going to throw a little bit of money their way because it's really ex exciting and encouraging. Um, but there's been exciting and encouraging movements that have come mm -hmm. before and, and they've kind of been lost um, to the annals of history, as it were. And and the staying power of CSPR, the commitment of the leadership team and and the, the bringing in of, of new folks year over year over year. And I, I know that it, obviously it's going to come across bias regardless, but I, I think that it's worth um, asking the question of the role that CSPR has played in whether it's shifting the Overton window, whether it's mainstreaming the idea of committing significant portions of time, money and resources towards mm -hmm. pro-life efforts that... You think about how many people were working in the pro-life movement in general before the launch of, of the campaign. And, and certainly you had a, a ton of very faithful folks working often in part-time or even volunteer capacities with their local pro-life initiatives. But kind of the mainstreaming of pro-life mission work and pro-life employment through our internships and the fact mm -hmm. that we have over 25 staff now, maybe maybe reflect a little bit on the role that CSPR has played, not only in the work that we are accomplishing ourselves that we're going to get into in just a moment here, but also the, the kind of trickle-down effect that um, staying true to the plan and continuing to grow and recruit has had on the greater pro-life movement, even, even beyond um, the, the national borders, I suppose, even. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, great points there. And I've been reflecting on that a lot as I was working on our, our year-end report and kind of doing a, a bit of a, a memory lane thing. Because once I realized it was 10 years, it's kind of like, look, let's look at what's changed. So what you referenced there with working uh, full-time, I think, is an important point. And it's also necessary to emphasize here that this is not an idea uh, that we came up with ourselves. It's an idea that was, uh, was co-opted from CBR founder Greg Cunningham. Who, who his famous line is more people are working full time to kill babies than to save babies. But uh, the concept that he really put forward was that the pro-life movement needed to professionalize and that there needed to be people who were who were basically pouring all of their intellectual and physical resources into figuring out how to reduce the abortion rate, to save babies, to shift public opinion, to, to basically be constantly shoving that Overton window. And so that is essentially what CCBR did is we implemented that model back in 2011 as volunteers are fantastic and volunteers are essential. And I would say volunteers are the reason that CCBRs and the killing plan, when we look at our at these numbers, this is this is the result of a movement as opposed to just an organization, um, which I'll, I'll get into in, in a minute. But volunteers are, by definition, people who have other uh, other responsibilities that are more urgent, whether it be parenting, whether it be, you know, be working and, and providing for a family. And, and so as such, volunteers make use of an infrastructure created by professionals, right? When you go to volunteer with something, somebody's running that, for the, you know, that soup kitchen, somebody's running that nonprofit. And so CCBR is filling that role of creating the infrastructure, creating the movement that can can supply volunteers the opportunity to be part of this change that so many of them have been. 
I want to make another point that I think doesn't get made often enough. Well, it gets made plenty often by me, but just, just in general, I, I think that the, the, a key reason for the success of CCBR's recruitment really boils down to the fact that when people get out there on the streets, whether they're going door to door, we'll get into your numbers here in a bit, whether they're on campus in Florida with the abortion awareness project, whether they're in front of high schools, is that we're not selling them on this idea that if you do X, Y, Z, give us X number of hours, at some point you may see some change, such as the data we went over. They're getting to watch minds actually change in real time. And the reason we've got people who come on the streets, you know, put up with a lot of verbal abuse from people who don't like our message, because again, we're at the edge of the Overton window where all of the cultural tension exists naturally. Um, those people are, are participating in the change, but they're experiencing that change themselves. They're facilitating it themselves. They're writing down these testimonies. It's why so many of them come back for another summer and bring their friends. It's why so many people have turfed their long-term career plans, both you and I included, and, and joined the pro-life movement. It's, it is for that reason. So when when so many people ask, why, like, what do you guys do to recruit? I'm like, well, one, right? It takes a lot of work to plan recruitment, et cetera, because you need to get in front of people and pitch the vision. But secondarily, it's it's for us, it's like get them onto campus. Once they're onto campus, the projects sell themselves because they get the invigorating and exhilarating feeling of watching one of their peers change their mind. One other point that that um, feeds directly into that one that I think is is probably the most notable change in the uh, Canadian pro-life community writ large since 2012. In 2012, because people said, like, you know, you said young and reckless and crazy. And one of the reasons I think we came across as young and reckless and crazy, besides, you know, the fact that maybe we were a bit, is the fact that, that, that the wide scale use of abortion victim photography was not at that point mainstream at all. You had groups like, uh, so Campaign Life Coalition had dabbled in their use in the past. They had one notable postcard campaign where they used a, a photograph, I believe, of baby Malachi um, against an NDP candidate um, on the NDP not supporting the little guy. But the only group that consistently used abortion victim photography for years would be Face the Truth, which would do one, one trip every summer um, and, uh, and, and travel to different places in Canada and to show these images, but there was no sustained use. And it was very controversial as I'm sure you'll remember in many churches, it was very controversial, uh, among the echelons of, 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 of certain Catholic churches. We had a lot of support. We also had a lot of opposite, a lot of opposition. And the biggest difference now, I think that makes people feel like it's not as dissident and reckless now as it was 10 years ago is because we have no significant opposition opposition inside the pro-life movement that still says abortion victim photography isn't effective. Even those who are uncomfortable using it themselves or prefer a different strategy, none of them will look at all of our anecdotal evidence, our statistical evidence, all of our stories, all of our testimony videos and say, this is a vast pro-life conspiracy perpetrated by CCBR to lie about, you know, using abortion victim photography. Instead, I think it's been recognized that the only reason so many young people join our organization and the only reason we see seen the success that we have is because it's just manifestly obvious that this strategy is actually effective at changing minds. And that is hugely different. I remember having massive arguments and fielding two hour Q and A's at pro-life conferences because people were like, they just don't work. They just don't work. It's like, well, unless I'm lying to you, but all the stories I'm telling you, and unless I'm chucking away my career just to make people angry for absolutely no good reason, like I got to say, you're not being reasonable. Like these things do work. And so I think that the success of CCBR strategy has become obvious even to AVP's detractors in the past decade.
Yeah, and and that's something that's borne out even in, in subtle conversations that we're still having. In that there's a lot of pro life groups, um, small and large, that look to our recruitment models and and say like, well, like how they they get. 40, 50 um, interns every year where we haven't had a young person come into our organization for ages. How do you do it? And they're anticipating some kind of social media strategy or they're anticipating some kind of like catchy um, hook uh, or, or whatever. And I mean, no, not to throw shade towards our social media folks, but I, I think that there are certainly other pro-life organizations that have a more sophisticated, more engaging social media plan than we do because that's not our focus, our focus in person. And like you said, the results speak for themselves. And um, though the word zealot might not be quite the word that I'm looking for, you, you think about our interns, even our volunteers and how they, they become ambassadors for the organization in so much as they're ambassadors for doing outreach. And they say, they're going back to their home communities, their friends, their family members, all that sort of thing and saying like, hey, if you want to make a difference, you have to do this. Like this works, this works, this works. The reason why we get young people, the reason why we get all sorts of people, um, mm -hmm. young, old, whomever, everywhere in between is because this works. And, and maybe let's dive into that now. Let, let's start talking mm -hmm. about the stats, the outcomes from this year. I know there's a few that stand out to you. There's a few that stand out to me as well, especially as we've been diving deeper and deeper into um, tracking conversations. But before I dive into kind of the um, my, my favorite statistics, what stands out to you from our year in review? I know that our, our newsletter just went out via email a couple of days ago. It should be arriving mm -hmm. in the mailbox for anybody on the CSPR mailing list. Um, coming up here. Um, and actually, you know what? Anyone who has subscribed to the Pro-Life Guys um, website, www.prolifeguys.com, um, if you are a, a subscriber on there, then I will attach the, the CSPR newsletter um, to the email that I'll be sending out later this week. Um, what stands out to you, Jonathan, from the numbers? I, the, I, I feel like the numbers are getting bigger and bigger, and so they might be lost upon some people. But but Let's let's refocus in on some of the numbers that, that CSPR and our incredible team of staff, interns, and volunteers were able, by God's grace, to accomplish this year. So the numbers that I want, want to focus on primarily are growth, right? We've talked about our statistics before on this show. I believe we did a whole episode at one point on the polling that we've done. Um, the the actual full uh, report on the data we've collected can be found uh, at the end of Seeing is Believing, Why Our Culture Must Face the Victims of Abortion, um, just as a as a reminder, 67% of people who see uh, an image of, of an aborted baby become uh, more negatively oriented towards abortion as a result. We've, we've gone over all that. I, what I want to focus on is the growth because that's the most encouraging thing, especially post-COVID. So one, we've, we had the largest internship we've ever had. And this was incredibly encouraging to me. We had 44 interns participating in our two programs in Alberta and two programs in Ontario. Um, just a monumental effort, which meant that there's more than 60 people working nonstop to end abortion in Canada at CCBR's peak of the year for a full four months of the year, almost half the year. This is just, this is unprecedented, full stop, and just phenomenally encouraging. And this has resulted in, I'll give you a, a few numbers, uh, 1,456 instances of activism over against 584 in 2021, 7,960 doors knocked as opposed to 5,024 in 2021. Uh, this is my, honestly, my favorite number because it's the easiest, I think, for people to understand when you're trying to grasp the scale of the mission here. 9,593 man hours of pro-life outreach in 2022, uh, 7,695 in 2021, and then three, uh, uh, 300, three, 99616 postcards hand delivered. These are hand delivered door to door. 
over against 236,697 in 2021. So that growth is just fantastic. Uh, and a final, I think, number that's quite encouraging, although perhaps not surprising, is the number of presentations that we've gotten to do with the end of the, uh, of the pandemic. Um, it was pretty crazy just because so many presentations that were canceled were sort of rescheduled after two years of cancellation. So I gave 71 talks. I'm doing my 72nd, the last one of the year, I hope, on Saturday morning at a church uh, to 3,100 people. But we gave a collective 150 six talks in North America and Europe for a total audience of 8,589 people, which is just staggering. That includes a, a, a tour in Ireland um, to kind of uh, encourage and revitalize their movement after the 2018 uh, um, um, referendum loss there, which has been discussed on the podcast with both myself and with uh, with our good friend uh, Neve from Life Institute. So with that, uh, what I'd love for you to talk about a bit more, especially to encourage the, the, pod, uh, the podcast listeners here, since this is a conversations-oriented podcast, you guys uh, in Calgary sent us a bunch of really fascinating conversation data, kind of tracking the success of, of pro-life apologetics conversations and the conversion rate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with that, a, a huge shout out to Kwana Casamayor, who is our Calgary Volunteer Coordinator, and to Alex and all, all the others who have implemented this. So we started last year trying to track the outcomes of the conversations that we're having on street corners and on doorsteps. We've always been, been tracking... Um, testimonies and and positive outcomes and that kind of thing but as anybody who has participated in c-spirit outreach knows um the hardest part of an activism leader's job is getting testimonies recorded um because after you've witnessed a dozen or 25 people change their mind with a very similar pattern of conversation flowing um with the roadmap that we've talked about here on the program um at times it can be um difficult to motivate yourself to record them. And so what we wanted to do is track the outcomes of the conversations. We're still trying to record all of the ones that that became fully pro-life. Um, and this has been honed over the last two years. And this is the data that, that Quan was able to collect that based on 3,867 conversations that we track. So these are people who are stopping to talk to us at um, Joyce Jane or talking to us at Door Knocking or some of our other projects. Um, so obviously you've got a little bit of a self-selection bias in people that are willing to have the conversation. Of the 3,867 people who stopped to talk, around a third of them were pro-life already, which is disproportionate, but also around a third of them were ardently supportive of abortion in all situations. So again, um, you're, you're trying to, you're kind of drawing both ends of the spectrum in that both of those are a bit disproportion disproportionate to the the true Canadian demographic. But I digress. 3,867 conversations. Of that, we witnessed 689 people become fully pro-life within the span of a, a short conversation. And so that equates to 25.11% of the conversations we had with people that weren't pro-life already became fully pro-life within the span of a conversation. 25% of people became fully pro-life within the span of a conversation who weren't pro-life already, which is staggering. And even more encouraging is the backup number of 785 people, an additional 28.6% of people became what I call categorically more pro-life. And, and there's <laughs> been a lot of confusion as to what I mean by categorically pro-life in that I don't necessarily see this as simply a sliding scale. I, I think that a lot of pro-lifers and a lot of pro-life groups can sometimes get it confused on, you know, I had really positive feelings about that, um, that interaction. And I'm going to say that they're more pro-life. I'm going to say that, that they're moving towards being more pro-life, but I don't actually have any concrete data 
stating the fact yeah. that they are moving towards the pro-life position. And so what we're doing tracking in Calgary, Vancouver, and Winnipeg is that we have conversation trackers gauging where they're at for circumstances before and after the conversation and developmental stages uh, of um, pregnancy before and after. And so we are trying to categorize they support abortion through all three trimesters moving towards just in two trimesters, one trimester or none at all in all circumstances in only sexual assault and um, life of the mother, only life of the mother or against all circumstances. And so we're trying to partition this into categories of unless somebody has dramatically changed in their worldview on the abortion issue, we're not pretending that, that they're moving towards the pro-life position. We're actually being very critical and very conservative in our numbers. And that makes it all the more encouraging to see that 28.6% of people are moving towards an entirely different category of, I support abortion for a variety of different reasons, not a whole lot of clarity around that to, I am only supporting it in a much uh, still a defined, but but far fewer categories or far fewer areas. And so that is so encouraging to see over 50% of people that we speak with who are not pro-life already either become fully pro-life or move into an entirely different category of how they would identify on the abortion issue. That's so cool. And that's only in Western Canada. Um, I, I know that Blaze, my colleague out in Eastern Outreach Department uh, leadership, is working on how this could get integrated into Eastern Canada as well. Um, some incredible statistics from Eastern Canada. They witnessed um, 801 testimonies, people becoming fully pro-life. I, I don't have the exact numbers of how many conversations they had, um, but knowing the incredible activists that they have out there, I'm sure that they're very comparable um, percentage outcomes as mm -hmm. to what we're seeing. So that that is so encouraging, the conversational outcomes, and that this is something that you can actually anticipate around one in four people changing their mind on abortion if you're applying the, the talking tools that CSPR and the Pro-Life Guys podcast are trying <clears throat> to convey. Super, super cool. Yeah, I think it's important for people to recognize that changing minds on abortion is difficult, but it's also simple. And there's a distinction between those two things, right? It's not always easy to engage in a very controversial topic. Yes, some people are going to get very, very angry. Yes, a lot of emotions are going to run high. But the arguments are very simple. And, and most importantly, what I think that this year-end report indicates once again is A, it works. And B, when people see that it works, they are encouraged to join. Uh, and we now see, I think CCBR has very much grown from an organization into a movement over the past several years, because we have this sort of web of organizations, of groups, of volunteer outfits, initiatives all across the country that work with CCBR towards the same goal using the same strategy. And that's not because of ideological colonialism. It's because of the fact that they recognize a good thing when they see it and they want to do the same thing and, and have the same experiences. Yeah. And, and one last thing that I'll, I'll mention on that as well is the volume of people who are expressing interest in getting involved, many of whom are apathetically pro-life and, and encounter us at a, a pro-life display or at a doorstep, or many as well who coming into a conversation supported abortion in varying capacities and came to reject it by the end of conversation. In, in Western Canada alone, we had over 500 people during activism. These aren't people at church presentations or, or friends of friends or anything like that, but rather people at activism who are approaching us and by the end of the conversation, expressing interest in learning more and getting involved in how they can contribute towards the pro-life movement as well. And so um, this is something that we're working on capitalizing 
here in Calgary through internships going forward? And how do we how do we mobilize those folks in meaningful ways, whatever season of life they may be in, whether through joining our volunteer team, applying to a future internship, financially partnering or empowering other pro-life initiatives? We have not only the data to suggest that we have tremendous numbers of people becoming pro-life, but it's not stopping there. For many of them, because we're anchoring the conversation in the real considerations of real humans who have been killed by abortion through abortion victim photography, they are catalyzed and mobilized towards trying to make a difference themselves as they're realizing the atrocity of what's happening. And so that's so encouraging as well. I'm really excited to see the, the continued growth of the pro-life movement um, and, and the role that C-Square is playing in that. And so maybe to bring it back to the point that you made before of, of how that's translating, that national polling, I, I think that it'd be really cool to, to dive back into that, that this is one of the greatest differences between Canada and many of those Western European countries that you mentioned, um, having a very sophisticated, very stable um, pro-life engagement method that, that isn't simply relying on passive engagement like billboards, but rather the active engagement of, of literally having somebody knock on your door to ask you about abortion, um, coming to your college campus, coming to your high school even um, to talk about abortion. What are the other encouraging numbers that you've been seeing on, on kind of a national scale that are indicating that while we, we got an awful long ways to go. We are at least moving in the right direction. What, what is giving you encouragement from that national polling and other info? Yeah, so a bunch of things. I, I, I will remind everybody that it's not just us who say that the strategy that we're doing is is sort of sophisticated and well-planned out. There's some of the, two of the books are behind me, I think. Um, there's a couple of professors from the University of Ottawa who wrote extensively about our strategy in a, in a book called The Changing Voice of the Anti-Abortion Movement. There was a professor from the University of Calgary who wrote in one of her books uh, that CCPR's project should be banned because they were impacting public discourse on abortion. There's a book that came out in the last 14 months that I have not gotten my hands on yet that also apparently analyzes CCPR's strategy by another academic. I forget which university. I thought University of Winnipeg, but don't, don't quote me on it. I have to read it yet. Um, but just to give you a, another number here, I'm going to quote directly directly from the national report analysis on this so that nobody thinks I'm extrapolating my own opinions into it. Here's what their analysis of the polling set was. Quote, notably, the July poll found that support for abortion was starting to wane among Canadians born in the wake of the Morgenthaler decision, which is in 1988. While 63% of Canadian seniors support elective abortion in all cases, this proportion uh, shrunk to just 50% among Canadians born after 1988. This roughly aligns with a marked decrease in the numbers of Canadian women who are seeking abortions. After Canadian abortions peaked in the early 2000s, the raw number of terminated pregnancies has been decreasing markedly every year since 2008, which I will note is well before the introduction of the RU486 abortion pill. A couple of takeaways from this. <clears throat> There's data that we, we we can't share, but we do know that the abortion rate has gone down significantly in one or two of the abortion clinics where we would expect it to go down if our work was having an impact. Um, one of the reasons we've been cautious sharing this data is, is first, because abor uh, Canadian abortion data is notoriously unreliable. Not all clinics report their data, et cetera, et cetera. And so we cannot assert causation here. Um, we can't say this is a 100% accurate thing that CCBR is directly responsible for. Uh, also because interestingly, this poll polled women on their abortion experiences rather than relying on data. So that's another sort of interesting fact about the data. However, I do think that all of the data that we have collectively seen is all, as you put it, going in the right direction. 
So although we have very incomplete data, we would like much more data. It's one of my eternal frustrations that we don't have a better information because I would like to know exactly how many abortions are taking place and where so that we can track specifically where we need to be, um, you know, most urgently, but also track our progress in terms of reducing the number of abortions. But I think uh, two points to make about that polling is, again, A, um, if we were seeing anything else, I'd be very concerned. And it's also important to notice that, uh, note that during that time, the Canadian population went up by 8 million people, largely due to immigration. So you see the population going up by millions, but the abortion rate reducing in, in, in real numbers, which is very encouraging. Um, and secondly, one of the things that tracks with the polling we did in, in the Hamilton mountain riding uh, several years back is we consistently found in our polling that younger people were more likely to be persuaded to be pro-life based on conversations and images than older people were. Um, I've, I have had my own anecdotal experiences of this. It's always, as you, I think you said this on the podcast before, right? Heartbreaking when some sweet old lady unleashes a torrent of uh, of vitriol. Um, and so it's just, again, what's, what I find really encouraging is that all the data CCBR has commissioned statistically and then collected anecdotally tracks directly with the national data we see, um, we see being released. So I'd again, like to emphasize that we are not stating causation here. However, I'm quoting directly from the report. Um, none of this is CCBR was collected by CCBR. This is all data collected external to us and, um, their conclusions I find to be very encouraging for anyone who is doing our work. Yeah. And, and with that, obviously, a, a gigantic thank you to to all of the staff who have made significant sacrifices to to help with all of this, the interns, not only this year, but in, in all of the past years, the volunteers, the financial partners, the prayer warriors. Um, so many people have contributed towards the success of this year, the success of the last 10 years um, since the launch of the plan and, and so much more. Like you mentioned, that that it, it's beautiful as well to see the vibrancy of so many other pro-life entities that, that we've had the pleasure to work with. Right. And, and as you mentioned, um, I touched on with regards to the, the conversation about abortion victim photography that uh, the, with the mainstreaming and very, very available anecdotal and statistical evidence, it's given us opportunity to partner with so many different entities to, to work hand in hand with groups like Silent No More Awareness Campaign, um, Campaign Life Coalition, We Need a Law Right Now, um, uh, Wilberforce Project, Life Canada, countless other entities. Like it's so cool to see the growth and vibrancy of the Canadian pro-life movement and greater and greater collaboration. So that that's so encouraging. I'm so I'm I'm sure there's so many more thank yous that can and should be made. Um, but Jonathan, just as we're starting to wrap up here, I'm wondering if if bearing all of this in mind, the excitement of 2022, <clears throat> and as in a year in review, we start looking towards 2023. Uh, <clears throat> wondering if you can give the audience a bit of a sneak peek as to what's coming down the tube in this coming year, both from the angle of CCBR, maybe a little bit from the bridgehead, um, and and even from yourself um, with the Van Maren show. What what is coming down the tube? Um, and as as I think, uh, hopefully, we've demonstrated over the last 10 years that that this isn't the peak. Of, of CCPR. This, this isn't a matter of, okay, well, we hit our goal of 4.5 uh, million views and, and over 10,000 conversations, and now we're going to start retreating back into ourselves. We're, we've got ambitious goals for this coming year, don't we? 
Yeah. So what, what CCPR always does when we have a year of big expansion is the goal is to consolidate and then expand is to make sure the infrastructure can sustain rapid growth. Uh, we've, we had 10 people apply to join staff full-time or part-time as the result of our huge recruitment push this year. And so that's been, that's been, that's been just pretty extraordinary. And so we're already working on recruiting for our internships this coming year. We hope to have an organization or sorry, not an organization, an internship at least as big, hopefully bigger. Uh, we are, are gearing up for the abortion awareness project on Florida campuses again this year for the first time in several years. The last time, uh, the last time I was there, I was there with you, actually, we were there to recruit and we had to remember we had signed up the biggest number of interns we'd ever had then. Um, I think the contracts were signed the day before the lockdowns kicked in. So we're finally back. We're going to finally be back on campuses and, and we're really looking forward to seeing what comes of that. And so basically we want, we want to build on these gains. I know that out in the West, right, you're going to be focusing even more on, on conversations. Um, we'd like to, you know, hold our, our, our view count steady or, 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 um, escalated in some areas but one of the really cool things too is is we're hoping to do a national tour next year once again we're starting out east to hopefully make inroads into the maritimes um I, i've spoken in the maritimes many times i've done solo activism even in the maritimes during my breaks between presentations but we're hoping to start establishing a bit of a presence there and so uh, if i had to summarize 2023 we want to build on on the gains in, in, in 2022 but what we're hoping god willing is to see this movement become truly national uh, to go from from British Columbia all the way out uh, to the other coast, and and I think, I think that uh, based on what we've seen happen this year, it's a very very much uh, a possibility. I think that I think that this is something that we're going to see happen um, by the end of next year. I'm still giddy about Quebec, to be honest, because in the end, the killing plan, as you remember, we didn't even factor in Quebec because uh, we realized that you know this is something that has to come from them. And now we see that having happened and that's really opened up other possibilities. And so moving even further East is the next plan. So I, I'm so encouraged. Obviously there, there's exciting stuff happening in that kind of Cornwall, Ottawa, Montreal corridor. Um, we, we've got new staff. You mentioned we have over 10 new staff who are either been hired or in the process of, of their application and hiring process. Um, shout outs to folks that are going to be focusing on, on this growth and expansion model, right? I mean, we keep expanding outwards where we're hiring church outreach coordinators to better mobilize and equip the church. We're, we're hiring community outreach and, and online presence and all these sorts of areas that we're just expanding further and further. I, I am so, so encouraged about um, what's going on this year. And that's kind of a, a great note to, to end on here, Jonathan, that, that we are we are hiring. We are, we are, we got so many vacancies that, that we are looking for, not because we don't have them, but because we have this growth model that whether it's an internship, whether it's applying to be part of one of our upcoming events, a pro-life week of action in Toronto, a crash course in various communities across Canada, whether you're looking to launch a, a pro-life initiative in a community in Canada that doesn't have a pro-life initiative at this point, um, we're here. Well, we are, we are here. We, we've got the, um, the manpower, we've got the energy, we've got the strategy. We are so fired up to be able to bring this and collaborate with other entities. And, and I hope that, um, Lord willing, we're able to, to do an episode like this in, in a year's time and that we've got even more exciting news to, to share about. So thanks a ton, Jonathan, for joining and, and for all the work that you're doing with CCBR, with the Van Maren Show, the Bridgehead and, and everything else as well. Always a pleasure, sir. Folks, that was Jonathan Van Maren and our reflections on the year of 2022. Um, 
I, I can't say it enough. The the um, appreciation, the, the gratefulness that I, I have for each and every one of you in the audience, for all of our team members, our staff, our interns, our volunteers, our financial partners, our prayer warriors, all those who are involved with CCBR, with the entire pro-life movement here in Canada and around the world, all the guests that we've been um, blessed to, to have on the show. Just thrilled. A, a big shout out um, to my very good friend, uh, Maddie Halleck, who produces and edits and, and makes makes me sound as, as good as he can and look as good as he can, which is difficult work. I understand. Huge shout out to Maddie for, for doing such a great job on all of these shows. And, and praise be to God for all of the beautiful outcomes of this year, the overturning of, of Roe, all of the, the incredible minds changed. We have been blessed to witness the lives saved, um, the people who are feeling more negatively about abortion, the whole shebang. Praise God for all of this beautiful work. And I pray fervently that he will continue to bless the podcast the organization of CCBR, the movement, and each and every one of you with abundance. I hope that you have already had a beautiful beginning to your Christmas season, and I hope that um, you are able to, to enjoy at least a few more days of rest, reflection, and recuperation, and that together we can dive into 2023 with both feet and have a beautiful, wonderful year. So thanks so much. May God bless you abundantly, and I look forward to catching you next year. Bad joke. I apologize to end the podcast. I'm sorry for that, but um, sometimes you just got to live with me. Okay. Thanks a ton. God bless. Till next time. Mm-hmm.